Good evening. Good to see everyone. If, if you have your Bible with you, we want to go ahead and be turning into the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 6. That will be the first passage that we turn to this evening, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to continue our lesson that we began this morning. And if you remember, the basis for our study this morning was Ezekiel chapter 37, where we saw and we read about the, the vision that Ezekiel received from God where he was in the valley and there were all the dry bones that were all around him, and how God told Ezekiel that the bones were going, for, for Ezekiel rather, to prophesy to the bones. And how the bones began to rattle and they began to shake and they began to join themselves back together, bone to bone, and how muscle began to be formed upon the bones. And Ezekiel looked and, he had, and there are these lifeless, skeleton bone, skeleton form standing before it, and there was no breath in them. And now God said to, said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the winds and cause the breath to come into them. And he did, and the breath of God came into them, and they came to life, and there was standing there before Ezekiel this great army where there had been these dried bones all laid on the earth. And we talked about how the, the point of the message for Ezekiel was that God was going to restore life to his children. And so we talked this morning about the idea of restoring life both to our lives as Christians and restoring life to a local church, and mainly from the standpoint of issuing warnings to us so that, our life, so that we make sure that the life is not taken away from us in the work that we do here. What I would like to do this evening is continue on with that lesson. I have two other points that I, wanted, that I want to make and I want to try and cover tonight. And two other areas where we can talk about the idea of restoring life. And the first one being that of restoring the life of a family. In today's society, I think you would agree with me that godly families are the exception and not the rule. Single-parent homes are on the rise. You have more and more step-families that are common practice. Now, I realize that some of these are um, some of these are for reasons that are acceptable in the in the eyes of God. There is the idea there is the death of a spouse and those that are divorced for scriptural reasons. But I think you'll agree with me that the overwhelming reason for these uh, broken homes and for these you know, single-parent homes and step-families and those kind of things, the majority of these are not for scriptural reasons. And as we look around in the world today, we see more and more that the family is no longer that, that, center, that God-centered focus any longer. And so we have to raise the question, we have to consider, in the world in which we live, how do Christians keep the breath of life in their families? How do Christians keep that, that fire in their family? How do we make sure that our life and, and our family life stays pure? Well, I think the answer to that is simple, and that is we do it God's way. And that's why I had you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that God lays out for the children of Israel how he wants the family to be constructed and how he wants the Word of God to be taught within the family. Read with me the first three verses of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. Again, this is Moses speaking to the children. That you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. 
you see what what's what's being set up here is God is showing people that He is interested in the family, and He wants to make sure that His word is taught from generation to generation, and that this life remains with the family. Brethren, God is still interested in families today. He still wants, as he says here, he still wants fathers and sons and grandsons to live wisely and to multiply greatly and to enjoy prosperity. He wants the same thing today as he wanted for the children of Israel. And so what he does here, what Moses goes on to do is he lays out a three-point plan on how they could go about teaching within the family, on how they could go about maintaining life within the family. If, if you're not opposed to writing in your Bible, I'm going to suggest that you do that, that, that you circle three words in the next few verses. In chapter 6, here, here are, there are three words that I suggest that you circle or that you underline or that you highlight, whatever you want to do. Verse 4, the word hear. Verse 5, the word love. And verse 7, the word teach. Because those are the, that, that's sort of the three-pronged approach that Moses lays out here on how the, on how the children of Israel were to maintain this family relationship and how they were to teach within, within the family. To hear, to love, and to teach. They formed the basis of the three principles that keep a family strong. And if they were good enough for God's children and the children of Israel, then surely they would work for us as well. So when we talk about breathing life into our families, let's look at each one of these, beginning in verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's what Moses says. He says, Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, or the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. The foundation of the Hebrew faith was based upon two primary truths. That Jehovah is unique, He is unlike any other in all deities, and He is unity. He is one. And so here the very first thing that Moses lays out for them is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And see, what strong families do is they lean hard on certain unshakable facts. And this is a major one. To amplify this statement, basically what families should say is that the Lord is our God. We acknowledge His presence. We acknowledge His uniqueness, His place, His right to rule over us. Everything that we are going to do is going to be based around what God says. God is not going to be something else that revolves around our life. Our life is going to revolve around God. Families who hear the truth continually, they don't drift and float aimlessly throughout this life. They pull together. Why is it that families splinter? Why is it that, that so many times we see these broken homes and, and a son goes off this way and a daughter goes off this way and a husband goes one way and a wife goes the Why is it that they splinter and drift off aimlessly? Because they have no center. They have no truth. They have no basis to come back to. What, what Moses is telling the children of Israel here is the Lord is our God. He is the focus. He is the center. He's the focal point. When times get tough and ways seem uncertain, this is the verse we come back to. This is where Moses started as he laid this out to the children of Israel. We don't need, we don't need Dr. Phil or we don't need Oprah or we don't need some other type of thing telling us where to begin. We have God. And that's what he's telling the children of Israel here. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. If we begin there, then everything else begins to fall into place. He, he continues on in verse 5 with, with the second point. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words that I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. What's the word that keeps jumping out in verse 5? 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. All. It continually jumps out. The repetition is there for emphasis. It's for totality. The parent's love for God is a total love. It's not a partial love. It's an unquestionable love. It's not a casual love. There's a fervency here that he's talking with. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your being, with everything that you have. That's what you love the Lord with. It's a complete love. It's a total love. Those of us who are parents, those of us who are grandparents, if we want to transfer that love on to the next generation, we have to have it in ourselves. And that's what he's telling them here. I can't pass on something to my daughters that I don't that I don't practice myself. I can't pass on to them honesty if I am dishonest. I can't pass on to them control of my control of the tongue if I am constantly flying off the mouth and using profanity. I can't pass on to them a love for God. I don't have a love for God. You see, it's it's the idea that. If we're going to pass something on to our children, if we're going to pass something on to the next generation, it has to be in us first. Our love for, our love for God must be an all-encompassing love, a deep-down dedication. When he says here in verse 6, these words are signs commanding you shall be on your heart. When something is on our heart, it's not simply a nice-sounding religious idea that's floating around in our head. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of us. And so what Moses is instructing the children of Israel here, what essentially he's telling us is that we want to have life in our family. If we, want our, if we want to have a godly life in our family, it begins with God, and then we build upon it with love. It's an instruction and a teaching of the love of God. And then what do we do? We teach it diligently to our children. Look at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as front, frontless between your, uh, between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. You know, this is not the first time that this exhortation to teach the children has been made. Look, look back a couple of chapters in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9, here's what, here's what Moses says. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and to your grandsons. What was one of the things that God, was, that God feared for the people? He feared that once they came into the land, they were going to forget to teach their children what God had done. That's one of the reasons why he set up the feast days and he set up, he set up the... Um, the festivals and those types of things were so that when these things came around, what were they to do? They were to take the time when the Passover feast came around to stop and teach their children, remember what God did for us when he brought us out of Egypt. He wanted to make sure that his word and, and the things he had done was going to be taught from generation to generation. Even from the very beginning, the task of indoctrinating children with the word of God was not the responsibility of, of some institution. It was not the responsibility of someone else. Whose responsibility was it? It was the responsibility of the parents. It began in the home to teach the Word of God. Unfortunately, what we are seeing today is a lot of people are farming that responsibility out and letting other people take care of it. And what are we seeing? We're seeing that, that, that there are people who are 
being raised, and who have no knowledge of the Bible, who don't understand who God is and what God has done. He puts an emphasis on it. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. This, this is an interesting thing. I didn't realize this until I was putting this lesson together. The word diligent in, in English is, is an adverb. But in Hebrew, the root term is a verb that means to sharpen. So you can literally read this passage, or this verse, by saying, and you shall sharpen your sons. You shall teach them diligently, or you shall sharpen them. Now tell me something. If you're going to take a knife, or if you're going to take something, and you're going to sharpen it, is that a passive action? No. If you're going to sharpen something, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to push on it. You're going to have to make it where that, where that, item, where that item becomes sharp. It's not a passive action. That's the idea he's getting across here. If we are to sharpen our sons, if we are to sharpen our daughters or our children, it's, a, it's an active thing. It's not something that's just going to happen. And that's what he's instructing the children of Israel. He's saying, sharpen them. Put them, put them or, or put yourself to work in molding them and making them into what they ought to be. But where is it all taking place? It's all taking place within the family setting. It's all taking place within the home. You see what he's doing to them here? What he's doing for them here? He's saying if you want life in your home, you make God the center of it. God desires that there is this conscious, consistent transfer of truth from the older to the younger in the family. That God is consistently everywhere in the family. When you read chapter, when you read chapter 6 and verse 7, when he says you shall teach them to your sons, when you... You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You see how you see how easy that sounds? You see just how almost how casual that sounds. You shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Brethren, what what society has done with religion is they have made it a Sunday religion. It's where you take where you take God and you put him on you put him on as a coat on Sunday and you go to church and then when you come back home you slip him off and you hang him back in the closet. The idea that he's laying out for us here is that it's a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday kind of thing. It's not something necessarily that you put on special clothes for. It's not something that you have to go to some special place for. What is it? It's woven throughout the fabric of life. See, Christianity is not, is, it's not a Sunday lifestyle. It's not something we slip on and off. Christianity is something that works as well on Tuesday morning at breakfast as it does Saturday night at bedtime as it does Sunday afternoon when we gather to, gather to work. The point that he's making and the point that we ought to take as, as, we, as we think about our families, when we think about making sure that our families have life in God, is that God should be a part of it in every phase. Every decision we make, every every step we take should be revolved around the Word of God. And that's the point he's getting across to the children. Everything everything they did was to be revolved was to be revolving around him. And you think about it. Did they do that? No. What did they what what happened? Eventually Joshua comes along and Joshua continues to teach the people and what you remember what was said? After Joshua and the generations that followed him, after they died off, what happened? A generation arose that didn't know God. What happened to them? God took them off into captivity. Why? 
because they had failed to teach the following generation. They had lost the life that they had had in God. If we want to maintain life within our families, if we want to restore life perhaps that we've lost in our family, we have to come back to God. We, can't, we don't need to turn to the world. We don't need to turn to the world's wisdom. We don't need to turn to, the, to the, the advice that the world has to offer. We need to come back to right here. Because this is the mind of God. There is no school that families can go to to earn a degree in family strength. It's just not there. Families become strong not because they've gone to school and they've listened and they've, they've learned the rules and they've passed the test. Strong families exist because parents chose to be different. Because parents chose to revolve their life around God. A lot of us probably have or have seen the uh, some of the little uh, things you can, you know, little magnets you can put on your refrigerator or something you can hang in your house with it, with this verse on it. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with precious and pleasant riches. If we want our homes, if we want our families to be full of life in the Word of God, then God has to be the center. And it's like, we, it's like we talked about this morning. It can't be something that's superficial. It can't be something that we simply, that we simply try and fake and we, we have all the things of, we have, we have all the things put around the house and whenever, when everybody comes over they can read the, the, the scriptures that we have up and they can see us when we come to services. It can't be something that's superficial. It has to be real. It has to be, it has to be genuine. And it starts with us. You see, the thing about the lesson today, it's all personal. It's all a very personal lesson because it all starts with us. If we want to make changes in our Christian life, if we want to make changes in our family, we determine that we want to do it. One more point that I'll, that I'll, that I'll share with you and then I'll, then I'll leave the lesson to you. We've talked about restoring the life of a Christian. We've talked about restoring the life of the church and restoring the life of a family. Now I'm going to raise the bar a little bit and talk about restoring the life of the world. We look out at society today. We look out at the world around us, and what do we see? We see that the world is slipping further and further into sin. We see that crime is, is on the rise. We see that homosexuality is condoned and being encouraged. Morality is being trampled underfoot. Those who seek to do what's right are oftentimes ridiculed and, and are oftentimes cast aside. The situation today, if you think about it, is similar to that of Judah and Israel. Judah and Israel got to a point and God was an afterthought. Religion was something that was done simply to appease their own conscience. Religion was something that they did simply going through the motions. God was not, God was not the center and the focus that we've just talked about. God was just something that was sort of out there and yeah, we know we ought to do this, but we're really going to go and do what we want to do. And what did God do to them? He destroyed them. He allowed them to be taken away into captivity. Why? Because they didn't serve Him. Because they, they refused to follow after Him. You look at the nations of, of Israel and Judah and you'll notice some amazing parallels to the world today. So the question is, what can we do about it? Is there a way that we can take this world that we have, that we live in, that is devoid of life, that the life has been sucked out of it, is there anything that we can do in and of ourselves to breathe life back into this world? Yes, there is. And that's by taking to them the breath, the breath of life. 
by teaching them the Word of God. By going out and teaching the lost. There are souls of people that we know personally who are lost in sin. Every one of us can stop and can think about a family member perhaps, a friend or a co-worker, a neighbor, a postman, a doctor, a dentist, a lady you see regularly at the Walmart checkout line, the pharmacist. We can all think of people who we know of personally, not just some abstract. Someone is coming to your mind right now that you know of that does that has not obeyed the gospel. Jesus spoke about the fields being white into the harvest. What was he talking about? He was talking about right now. If we look out into the world today, and what do we see? We see thousands of souls who are out there who are lost. The life has been taken away from them. By who? By Satan. Satan has tempted them with sin, and now they, they are no longer walking in the way, they're no longer walking towards God, they're walking out in the world. What we need to do is we need to take the gospel to them. We need to take on the attitude that the, that the life has been sucked away from them. I'm going, to, I'm going to restore the life to them by bringing them in contact with the Word of God. Too many times we, I'm afraid that we take on the attitude that, well, if I don't teach them, surely someone else will go out of here. That cannot be our attitude. Our attitude rather should be, if I don't teach them the gospel, no one's going to. We have in our hands the words of life. We have in our hand the breath of life. We can see how great it, or, or what a great impact it has had on our life. We can see how much this has affected us. Why? Why would we not want to take this and share it with our neighbor? Why would we not want to take this and share it with our family member or our co-worker? Why would we want to deprive someone else of their opportunity have life. You know, Jesus gave us the task of reaching the lost. He let he, he left the Great Commission. He said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, Go therefore and baptize go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. He left us a responsibility to reach the lost. You notice I'm saying we're to, we're to reach the lost. I'm not saying that, that, that we have to be the one, that we necessarily are going to be responsible for their obeying the gospel. What our responsibility is is to go out and to sow the seed. And do you know how you can do that? You hand a you hand a, a fall focus invitation card to your neighbor. You invite them to your house. You hand an invitation card to somebody at Walmart or the pharmacy. You ask a co-worker, you know, we're having, this, we're having a special series of sermons during the month of October. Would you, would you like to come and go with me? We're having a group study at our house tonight. There's, a, there's several of us going to get together. We're going to talk about the Bible. Would you like to come? You can ask Mark and, and, and Dan and, and Jimmy and Brent and James. We've talked about all this stuff for an entire quarter, haven't we? And what have we... And what have we seen? We've seen that if you if you hand invitation cards to people, some sometimes they show up. And we find out that you know what? Talking to people about the gospel, 
it's not as hard as, as we once thought. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Uh, hope I don't, I hope I don't embarrass Brent, but I'm gonna pick on him for just a minute. Since she's not here, I can bring it up. Did y'all notice the young lady who was sitting over here this morning by herself? She is the daughter. Here we go. Stay with me now. She is the daughter of somebody that Brent talked to at Walmart. One day, one day we got together and we all went to Walmart and, and well, I'll say we. I was part of setting it up. I didn't get a chance to go. Everybody else went. And Brent talked to a guy there. His name was Ben. Invited him to come to Thursday. Ben came one. Ben came the next Sunday. He sat back there on the back row. That was his daughter who was here this morning. I don't. I, I didn't get much of a chance to talk to her. I don't know her background, but I do know this. She knows where we are. We had a chance to speak to her this morning. She had a chance to hear the to, to hear the gospel. She had a chance to to witness this family gathering together here. How how do we know what that's not going to turn into? You see, the idea that we're the, the thing that we're talking about, and the idea that we're getting is that if we want to restore life to this world, if we want, if we realize that there is a need, if we realize that there is a that the world is lost in sin. If we want to restore life to this world, then we have to be out sowing the seed. The seed's not going to sow itself. I reseed my yard every year. If I buy the seed and I buy the if I buy the bag and I set it in my, my garage, what good is it doing? It's not going to do anything unless I go out and I spread the seed out. The word of God, it's the seed is not going to sow itself. We have to be out sowing the seed. Just like the church at Thessalonica was going out and they were teaching the law. Just like the church at Philippi was going out and they were spreading the gospel. Brethren, there are so many people who are lost in sin. You know it and I know it. We know of people personally. We want to help them find life. We want to help them find what life is all about. We need to teach them the gospel. We can be friends with them. That's great. We can be we can be we can be supportive to them. We can be pals with them. That's great. We need to teach them the gospel because think about how great it was that somebody took the time to help us find life. Somebody loved us enough to help us find life in Christ. Now, why would we not take the time to help somebody else find life? There's so many other there's so many other, other ways that we could go with this lesson. There's so many other points that you can make because there's so many other areas that we can talk about restoring our life. Whether it be restoring our life back to God, whether it be restoring the life of our congregation or the world or our family or whatever it may be. But here's the point of all of it. Here's where everything comes comes together. Whether we're talking about restoring our lives as Christians or as, as a local congregation or as, our, or as godly families or as restoring the life of the world, God is the answer to all of it. God is the answer to all of it. When you take God away from it, that's when things get, that's when things get messed up. When God is no longer a part of, the, of our life, when God is no longer a part of the solution, things completely fall apart. 
And here's the, here's the kicker. God is never going to remove himself from our life. We can remove God from our life, but God is always there willing to forgive us of our sins, willing to accept us back, although we don't deserve it. God is always there. If there are areas of our life that have gone astray because we've removed God from them, I hope that our, that our study today has encouraged us, encouraged us to make those things right. It's encouraged us to realize that without God as the center focus of everything that we do, things are going to fall apart. And that life, that breath of life that we read about in Ezekiel is going to be taken away. And there's nothing else that can restore that except God himself. Do you need the prayers of the brethren? Tonight, can we can we pray together and encourage each other to to greater acts of service to God, to be more faithful to Him? Or perhaps tonight you need to be baptized into Christ, having your your life started new tonight, truly living the life that God so wants us to live. Can we help you in any way? If so, please come down to the front and let us know. Together we stand and sing.